A horse is a horse, of course, of course. But is every athlete the same? Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. This is Dan hosting today. I am joined by Paul and Sarah once again. Hello, hello. Hello. So as you heard in the introduction, a very unique introduction, today we're going to talk about managing the atypical sport athlete. So those athletes that come through that play sports that you may have never seen before, heard of, and have no knowledge of. So let's start, Paul and Sarah, with how we're going to, you know, prepare yourself to determine the path to take during your initial evaluation. So what are some strategies that you guys implore when you're treating an athlete that comes in with a sport that you have never seen before? Well, obviously, the hope is that maybe you've heard ahead of time. You can do whatever research that's possible. You know, watch YouTube videos, find footage of the sport. Of course, we'd want to do that. But I'm just going to go ahead and answer from off the cuff. You just know there's a, a you know lateral ankle sprain coming in. You have no clue what the mechanism was, and you find out that they're insert random sport here. You know, so subjectively, I think this is a time to slow down and ask a lot more questions. Um, and get a good feel for what their sport is actually going to be needing. Uh, I don't think we should be afraid. I'm sure some individuals always think they should show themselves to be the true expert of everything. Um, and then asking questions might make them seem uh, like they have a lack of knowledge over what has to happen. But the truth is that I'm pretty sure the athlete's well aware of the fact that their sport is not a common sport. And they should be more than happy to share that sport with you and help you learn more about it so you can try to appropriately plan for your eval. You know, if there's a significant acute injury, maybe it's not right. Use the information later. Uh, it doesn't have to discover everything on day one. You know, if they're a literal link, lateral ankle sprain the day before, you might just need some very simple rice treatment, home, etc. But if you have the opportunity, or especially if they're coming into you for a mild issue or a chronic problem or just performance improvements, really want to get a good feel of what their sport actually entails movement-wise so I can then translate into an appropriate assessment objectively. Yeah. Sarah, before you comment on that, I do want to go back and, and discuss a little bit or just highlight the importance of what you said that if this athlete is coming in for that acute lateral ankle sprain, focus on that first and get that better and then as you are helping that athlete achieve their goals of getting back, that is then the time and the place to get deeper into that unique sport. Like don't lose focus on what they're coming in to see you for, especially if it's an acute injury. If it is a micro or a mi- repetitive micro trauma that has happened over time due to stress, that's a different approach, but that acute symptom, please don't lose fact of, taking care of that acute injury and then getting into the deep dives of that unique sport as you are helping them. You make a great point. Like I said, I'm sure they'd be loving loving the opportunity to share their sport with you, but they probably don't want to share their sport where their ankle is throbbing and they're wanting you to do something about it. When you're treating it, which especially early can be not the most complex thing in the world, you're going to have plenty of time to ask all sorts of questions. So thank you. A great clarification, Dan. So Sarah, Additional things that you want to go off of in the subjective component, um, let's say it is rather than that lateral ankle sprain, let's say it's somebody that's more of a, of a micro trauma that's just repetitive stress. What In your subjective exam, what are some things that you really want to try and 
get a solid understanding of. In regard to their sport? Yeah. Okay, sure. so I probably would, you know, like you said, they probably know that their sport isn't that well-known or as common as, you know, some of the others are. So I probably would just straight up ask them, like, what does your sport require out of you? What does your practice require out of you? And have them go over some of the specific movements, positions, activities, and kind of see if that you can correlate some of those movements to the things that provoke their pain. And then I would, um, getting the, the delineation of what their practice looks like versus their performance is huge and what that quantity and how much time they're spending in both. That's probably where I am going to start with like their sport analysis. Yeah. I think that, you know, in some of the more unique sport athletes that I've treated over my tenure, helping me understand the training demand compared to the competition demand is where that vast difference lies you know, from most recently I was treating a synchronized swimmer and her competition was like two and a half minutes long. And then they had a four hour break and then they had a 30 second competition, but their training every day was six hours in the water every single day. Plus then dry land training. And it it was just that interesting change between the duration of time they actually compete versus the duration of time that they spend training. Uh, you know, great point. Cause that training piece is often very overlooked, especially the duration, as you mentioned, uh, you know, especially if it's a sport that requires unique equipment, unique environment is not common or is weather related. We're lucky here, but some places are currently buried in snow. You might not have the opportunity to perform your typical sports. So you have to be thinking there could be spending the predominant amount of their time training in a gym, <laughs> in a right. quote unquote typical environment with quote unquote typical exercises. And if you focus solely on their sport and miss the fact they're doing powerlifting and maybe they have some sort of deficit that's impacting them there, you might be like, man, I don't understand what the problem is. You look great for everything your sport demands, but oh wait, I miss this again, quote unquote basic thing that is a huge piece of the equation. Also, going into asking questions, you know, I was trying to think of what unique athletes I've treated, and I can't think of anything that was like absolutely crazy, um, but definitely some different demands. And I think what I've come more to is appreciating that even a relatively usual or known sport can have great varieties on how someone performs said sport. You know, for example, I've worked with a number of ultra marathon runners over the years, and in particular, there's one I work with frequently that runs the hundred. I'm sorry, runs the 24 hour races. So it is not so much of a how quickly can you run something, but it's how long can you run in 24 hours. And he's repeatedly put up over 150 miles. One of the interesting things is watching this kid's running form. It is what the textbook would probably say is bad running form, quite frankly. Um, he is very simple, very little motion. There is almost no thoracic rotation. There is very little arm drive happening. There is relatively short, like the cadence is there, but the stride is not what you would expect to see. I'm assuming a lot of it is to not waste additional energy as he's running for 24 hours, which is (laughs) mind blowing to me, but whatever floats your boat's cool. But the important thing to keep in mind here is there isn't one way to do something. You know, pull up a YouTube video of Mm -hmm. the best batters of all time in baseball and look at their batting stances. And yes, there's similarities. Yes, there's certain things that are probably going to be seen across the board. There's going to be 
quite important differences to each of them that we need to appreciate. So again, just reiterating, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to look at those videos, ask for videos. If they seem a little skeptical, remind them that there is no one way to do anything. You want to know how they do it. You don't want to say, oh, I know how to play baseball, so I assume you play the same capacity. No, you want to say, how do you play baseball so I can understand what you specifically need that might be different from every other athlete doesn't make you any worse than them. Well, especially because, you know, you say everyone does something different because if you're working with a high level we'll just go with baseball player and their swing is what's bothering them. You're not going to change their swing. You have to go off of what their technique is. And so you need the specifics to them. Yep. And find those compensations that they may be extremely good at. All right. I want to circle back, still staying subjective here for a minute. And Paul alluded to it very briefly, but that video analysis, at what point are you asking that athlete to see a video of them performing their task, sport, etc. Are you doing it before you do objective to assist with driving your objective exam or are you doing it after to not show a bias? I think you could, I would probably do after because I probably am going to go spend alone time or maybe with a colleague analyzing it so I can have more time because that stuff sometimes takes a lot more time to look at and think about and formulate decisions about than them with them staring at me. So I probably will be taking their actual video footage of them doing their sport and doing that on my own time and maybe just going off of what they say or the movements they need verbally and tailor that to the objective component of the eval. Yeah, you make a great point. I don't want to sit there and analyze the the depth of their motion in front of them. One, the time to do that's going to be, well, time consuming. And two, I don't need to sit there and explain everything to them mechanically. I need to see, all right, what are the what are the heavy hitters? What are the key points to focus on? I do think you could ask for it early, especially if you have that patient that's having a, a difficult time describing to you what it is, or maybe they're describing it perfectly. You're having a hard time visualizing what they're trying to tell you. You can ask for it early. You could ask for it on the subjective. I like to ask early, but I think what Sarah said is extremely important. If I look at it early, it's a quick look. It's a, okay, this will help me give a couple of motions and screens. I am not trying to get to the greatest depth of their problem in that instant. I'm just getting an idea of what I want to know for that day. So I can go to my colleagues. I can go to YouTube and say, okay, y'all, here's what I see. Here's what's happening. Here's the video. Let's look at this together and pick this apart so I know where I should go with this individual. P.S. I did some testing based upon this simple motion, and here's what I saw for them specifically. So I think you hit on a very important part. I don't know if there's a right or wrong time, but I, I do agree with you wholeheartedly. Don't go crazy right off the bat. Use it to help you if needed, and then dig deeper into it when the time is appropriate. Yeah, I think I take a similar approach the two of you do. If I can, and I remember, that might be step number one, is actually remember to ask for the video during the subjective exam. It may allow me to at least try and replicate something that looks or feels like their sport during my objective exam and say, okay, if I do that early, I may be able to, depending on on the complexity of the sport and, and the demands, right? Like if they're an equestrian athlete, I can't really put them on a horse in my clinic. Uh, maybe a cow, but not a, you know, a Highland cow, but not a horse. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that that helps me have an understanding of where to go in my objective exam and then say, hey, can you send that to me so I can spend more time looking at it 
in depth so that when you come in for visit two, three, four, I have exercise and additional tests and measures that I may need to look at, especially if it's something that's not an acute injury, right? Like it's that micro trauma because of the acute injury, I'm still going to be studying that and I may not be implementing that early on into their program, or I may because there's there's a high probability I can do some core training, I can do some upper extremity strengthening, I can do some lower extremity strengthening, depending on where their injury is, to still ensure that they can somewhat stay in shape and keep that competitive mind um, component to their to their care. Oh, so then my question is, Dan, so all right, you did your subjective, you've gone through this information, and you don't have the slightest clue where to go. They're not giving you an adequate picture, they have no videos, they're 16 years old, and they spent more time looking at the phone than your face. Where are you going? You have no clue what to look at for this individual. What are you going to do? Uh, that, that's a great question. So let's assume that – I guess I shouldn't assume. But let's just say that they do this sport with their feet on the ground. Okay, Their feet are not suspended in stirrups. Their feet um, are not strapped really tightly into an ice blade. Uh, they're not in – a buoyant environment of water. There's a certain component of things that I'm always going to look at closed chain dorsiflexion, right? I'm going to look at closed chain dorsiflexion with their knee straight and their knee bent. Um, after that, I will probably go and look at hip mobility, both internal external rotation and hip flexion. Then there's a high probability I'll look at open chain hip extension to see what that kinematic sequence is. And then I will do some sort of core test. Um, is that a positional postural load? Is that a protective mechanism slash automatic core engagement? Or is that put them in a transformational zone and see what their core is able to do in that transformational zone? Um, Sarah, what did I miss? I feel like that was pretty good. Did you say any... Did you mentioned thoracic mobility. I, I think that not. I would definitely look at thoracic mobility just because I feel like so many sports require such full body movement. And that's, you know, I feel like thoracic is always a big hitter there. Always necessary. I, I definitely agree with what you said, Dan. I would 100% start at the feet. You know, I tend to find, again, as you mentioned, assuming it's a some type of sport where their feet are touching the ground or even if their feet are in stirrups or their professional ice blader, as you um, have alluded to, yes. You know, there's still going to be that foot contact component a lot of times. And we know inappropriate foot mechanics has a huge impact up the chain between muscle firing and other things. So, so often I feel like that is an underappreciated piece of the equation. The good old dorsiflexion, the great toe extension that we know is a necessary component for most closed chain appropriate push-off components, the midfoot mobility, the transverse plane mobility through the foot, the, the typical things that if you're an athlete, you probably use it at some point. Varying degrees, varying things, every sport. Maybe you're a professional mountain climber and you need some pretty crazy range of motion. Or maybe you're a, a dancer whose feet go into positions that would not be what you typically think of for a, a stable or strong foot you need to be in. But nonetheless, we need to know what their foot moves like. The hip's going to be that huge component of things. Uh, T-spine, C-spine as well. I mean, I think one thing I've gained a much greater appreciation uh, since talking more with Brett Fisher has been how many times cervical rotation is needed for many sports. You know, I, I think of baseball players again. I know this is a typical sport, but easy examples to think of, you know, when the pitcher is getting ready to throw to the catcher, they, you know, 
going to go into their windup. They're going to need to actually keep their head on the mound. So they need a pretty significant amount of left or right rotation dependent upon their arm to keep it there. If you're the batter and you can't appropriately turn your head to see the pitch coming, how are you going to possibly keep your hands back at their appropriate dissociation if you're lacking cervical rotation? So just things that I tend to find are going to be needed in sports to be able to visualize what you're doing, which Again, most sports are going to require your ability to keep your eye on whatever it is that's happening in front of you. The one thing I want to highlight you talk about is the core. Because the one consistency I'd say almost all the time is that core firing mechanics is huge. Whether you are a swimmer or on the ground or on a mountain or wherever you're at, typically the core needs to fire first and then the periphery, periphery or the physic muscles will then actually be the ones working. And so many times I think I find individuals that don't activate their core appropriately, don't fire that first, that protective mechanism, as you said, to provide a stable foundation for everything else to move upon it. And I've seen this with swimmers that don't have typical clothes chain. I've seen it with runners in your very traditional clothes chain. I've seen it with all types of athletes. So checking that core firing mechanics, making sure they can actually get that activated first. Because if you don't have a stable base or stable foundation, regardless of what you are or aren't closed or standing on, it's hard to be successful elsewhere. Is the training going to be complex? Yes. Can I just train a swimmer in typical core exercises and hope it translates to a buoyant environment of the pool? Not always. But I still have to start training somewhere and it becomes a great foundation. So the core is, I think, almost the one consistent you're going to always have regardless of how obscure uh, said sport might be. Yeah. And I I think you're spot on there with that core. And I'm going to say probably the second most important would be their ankle dorsiflexion mm-hmm. because they're most likely going to be doing some sort of dry land or on the ground training, whether it's weightlifting, okay. whether it's running, whether it's biking, right? They're going to be doing something that's going to need to have adequate or sufficient ankle dorsiflexion to assist with their ability to perform said atypical sport, right? So I would say that those are probably your two gold mines, you know, whether it's a atypical sport or it is a typical sport. If you have no clue where to go, start there. And if you don't find any significant deficits there, then you can go and look at some of those other areas. I mean, I still think what we talked about hip, thoracic spine, cervical spine are all crucially important. But oftentimes we see core and ankle dorsiflexion aren't adequately evaluated and or trained to assist with that athlete. And it's funny. I I feel like that the areas we mentioned are kind of the the typical rocks or big rocks or heavy hitters for any patient that comes through the doors, especially if you're having a hard time finding where to go. And obviously, the, the topic of the podcast is looking at atypical sports. However, again, I, I tend to find those are just those areas that are often neglected, often missed, and often underappreciated that can be the secret to success um, when you need to go there. And I, again, going back to Brett Fisher, number of times he's told stories where he's worked with high-level athletes, very high-level athletes that have teams of people trying to support them, and they missed ankle dorsiflexion restrictions. They're dealing with knee or hip or back pain now, but they missed a substantial limitation to ankle dorsiflexion. I have found the same thing with individual athletes where they've gone and they've quote unquote failed therapy before. And oftentimes it's this foot mechanic. It's a simple midfoot mobility issue or a dorsiflexion issue or a great toe extension issue where they they have the dorsiflexion, but they can't actually even get into it in closed chain because their foot can't go that far into that anteriorly positioned tibia to when they're starting to push off onto the toes. So 
it's, it's kind of just almost the safety net of areas right. to look at when you're Agreed. not sure where to go because they're necessary for almost yeah. everyone, but and especially then, the actor. I think person. you can say the exact same thing about the core, right? Where people come in and they can hold a they can hold a plank, and I'm not against planks, right? But they can hold a plank for minutes on minutes on minutes, but then you stand them up and put them in the sport specificity position. And they're lost, right? And so now they have all sorts of compensatory firing patterns that lead to breakdown. And they come in and they say, oh, yeah, I have a great, really strong core. And you put them in certain positions and they they fall over or they can't maintain that, that absorptive force of gravity when they're out of a plank. I think another thing to think about, and this kind of piggybacks off of Paul, is, you know, I think so often we get so focused on knowing everything on that first visit. And if you have your big hitters that you know a lot of times are key to just movement dysfunction and success with being active, you can always start there. And, you know, that gives you more time to figure out the person's sport and be more specific down the road. You know, we don't have to figure it out all all on the first day, even though we like to feel comfortable and, you know, teach our patients that we, we know everything. But I think getting that buy-in from the patient too with the time you spend analyzing their videos and tailoring their program down the road like they're going to trust you with everything yeah yeah i think that's a great point that's that's the huge thing that we i think the three of us and and brett and k2 would say the same thing working here you know if they were sitting here with us is showing that vulnerability and you don't have to know everything and you don't have to figure it out on day one but the commitment to that individual in front of you, regardless of the sport or task that he or she wants to perform, that's ultimately what's going to lead to long-term success for that individual and shows the true professionalism that we want to embody. Yeah, I just want to quickly reiterate that that's so important and you are both so correct. I mean, I would make the argument that it's physically impossible to know everything on day one, even if you have a a typical athlete, but it becomes a sport, you see a lot to where your confidence grows. And even if you see the same diagnosis from a number of individuals, it doesn't guarantee everyone responds in the same capacity. You know, Dan, as you said, you might be able to teach someone how to be extremely strong and functional in the core. When you get them into their actual sports specific position, it doesn't guarantee firing. Some people incorporate it quickly and naturally. Some people need additional cueing to different levels. Has nothing to do with their overall fitness or ability as an athlete. It's just different bodies respond in different ways. So I'm a huge proponent of exactly what you two talked about. Educate them that we are a team. We're going to work through this together. We're going to figure it out together and what you need. I, I'm not just going to assume you lump into everyone else. I'm going to use the knowledge I have to fix the things I see, and then we're going to work together so that we can provide a successful transition back to your sport or continue success in your sport based upon how you present and not just how I might expect. And then if you're unexpected, too bad, so sad. Well, thanks, guys. I think we covered some good nuggets, both in the subjective, the approach to video analysis you know, some strategies to implement it right there immediately during that first session, as well as looking at it over time away from therapy to bring that back to that athlete again, whether they are atypical or typical, I think there's still value in that dedication to that unique individual. Uh, in closing, I do want to give a quick shout out to Christy from Tucson. She reached out to us uh, requesting some information from 
uh, our closed chain ankle dorsiflexion and some of the research. And she is an avid listener. So shout out to Christy. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you enjoy this one. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or uh, feedback, do not hesitate to email us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thanks and have a great day.